Coming up on the House of Krause, we go long with Linda Thorson, star of, among other things, The Avengers and the new film, The Second Time Around. So I went around telling people at RADA that I was going to play this part in a movie directed by John Huston. I told Patrick about this and he said, you are never going to a meeting again without me there. I had more time on camera by the time I was 21 and a half than Elizabeth Taylor had in her whole career. Tell me about Dancing at Midnight with Paul McCartney. Was he a good dancer? He was a really, really, <laughs> he was a really good dancer, and he's a, a wonderful, wonderful guy. He did have his bedroom slippers on, I remember that. Really? He doesn't like wearing shoes. <laughs> Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krause. I'm Richard Krause. Pull up a beanbag chair by the bar, grab yourself a highball, and sit back and listen to a few more words from the woman we just heard from. That was Linda Thorson. She was thrust into the spotlight when she was just 20 years old, playing Tara King, replacing Diana Rigg as John Steed's partner on the wildly successful show, The Avengers. Now she named herself, in part, after one of her favorite movies, Gone with the Wind, that's the Tara part, and then King from King and County. From there, she's gone on to massive success on the Broadway stage, the stages of the West End in England. You've seen her on television in Star Trek The Next Generation. You've seen her in the Steven Seagal action flick Half Past Dead. And right now, you can see her in a film called Second Time Around. It's in theaters right now. We'll talk all about that in just a few minutes. But first up, let's find out how it all started for Linda Thorson. You were born in Toronto. I was. Probably not far from where we're sitting right Toronto now. Toronto General Hospital. Yeah. Not far at all. <laughs> right around the corner. And uh, tell me about your, your first uh, memories of wanting to act. Because um, there was a, a healthy theater scene, probably not a lot of film and television being done sort of as you were growing up here. So what made you want to act? Um, I think my very first memory of of experiencing standing up in front of people in the applause was uh, my mother used to they, my parents gave a lot of cocktail parties my mother was head of the cancer society and so after the coronation in 1953 i was very little but i apparently i took to i do remember this getting a little stool and standing in the middle of the room and demanding attention <laughs> and then with a perfect british accent starting on some sort of speech with my husband and I are terribly pleased that you have crowned me as the queen of your country and thank you for coming to my mother's party this evening and for some and people were just astonished and they would say to my mother June is, is your daughter all right but I I realized I had that desire and then I was a skater so I skated at the Granite Club I ended up being Granite Club skating champion when I was 12 and um, so that was also the sound of the applause but really, Richard, what happened is that was the advent of television with shows like Dr. Kildare and Ben Casey and our Miss Brooks and um, uh, Mr. Sands. What was that with the secretary and the secretary and Southern? Right. So I would watch these shows on television and I would want to be all I was, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. <laughs> no, I'm going to be an executive secretary. And one day it dawned on me that these were all actors playing all these parts. So I thought, well, if I'm an actor, I can be all of those I things. I can do it all. And I can get some applause. <laughs> so when I was eight, I was chosen 
to do a play at Massey Hall, the old Massey Hall. Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit. Yes. <laughs> so when I was eight years old, I was in a play at Massey Hall in Toronto, and there was more applause, and I mean, I was off and running. For years, I talked about going to the actor's studio in New York. I thought, that's that's what you do. And then I started seeing these movies um, with Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee, and I, I got this... I obviously had the British bug since the coronation, <laughs> but um, I suddenly thought, oh, there must be some. I could go and study there. And then I thought, I'll go to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. None of this, I mean, ignorance, such bliss. <laughs> but then just to finish this, I had the great privilege of going to Bishop's Drawn School and my brothers and my father was head boy and my brother was head boy at Upper Canada College. So my parents put together the money to send all of us to good schools. But there was a woman there, Nancy Piper, who was head of the drama department and she had known George Bernard Shaw. And so George Bernard Shaw, when he died... You are six degrees of separation from George Bernard Shaw. Absolutely. And he (laughs) left his entire estate to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. So Nancy Piper put me in all the plays at Rada, I mean, at the Bishop's Tron, and I was the tallest. So I played Shylock in The Merchant of Venice, all-girls school. And when I told her what I wanted to do, she wrote to the... Royal Academy, and I'm sure that letter helped. It didn't matter that they auditioned 500 people and they took five girls and yeah. 11 boys. <laughs> when you're young, you have such chutzpah. You're so fearless. And it's as you get older that it increases because you know the impossibility of most things. Um, so I went over there and I got a scholarship to Rada when I was 16. But the trajectory of wanting to become an actor, I, it, it started very early on. It started early on with the coronation. With the Maybe. coronation. <laughs> and she's still there, our queen. Isn't that something? It's quite amazing. And the crown is so good. I've been watching that. The crown is fantastic. And Victoria. Yeah. Uh, so the sound of the applause, the skating, I would imagine there were costumes, there were sort of things, like the whole yes, idea of sort of make believe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, make-believe costumes and and then the preparation and having to go in front of people, which for me, I'm very, very happy sitting in my dressing room at the theatre. I feel it's home. I, I, I belong there. I know what I'm doing there. Now, I'm not saying that an opening night, I just don't feel sick with nerves. <laughs> and that's healthy. That's yeah. the way it should be, too. But once I'm out there, I, I know what I'm doing. I have a great love of the theatre because of the immediacy and also because I'm a control freak. And that is the only place you're in control. Nobody can cut the scene, can <laughs> end up on the cutting room floor. The director can't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't do it like that because the curtain has gone up. <laughs> so that's been something and, and it's up to the actor to figure out how the thing is being received by the audience. And it's very, very gratifying. You have immediate gratification as well. They laugh, they cry, or they walk out, so you know what's going on. (laughs) I'm speaking with Linda Thorson. Her film, The Second Time Around, is in theaters right now. I've had a number of actors sitting in that chair. bet you have. Who have told me that on stage... When they're performing, just exactly like you said, you can be in control and it's it's where they feel most at home. It's because perhaps in real life, it hasn't been so easy to control. Would you agree with that or no? I, I, w- I would agree with that completely. I, I have I always felt that my own life was very much out of control. 
Um, and, 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 and I mean, that manifested itself in different ways. I went through eating disorder. That's all about getting some control over something. That's because people wanted you to be thinner when you weren't. Right. And there, there are all sorts of things like that. And also leaving home and going to England when I was very young. I was married when I was 16 um, to a man who was 32. I did not know this. I knew you went to RADA at a very young age. You were a teenager. I didn't know you were married at 16. Yes. Oh, yes. I just wanted to do everything right away. You were passionately in love. I was passionately (laughs) in love because he directed a play by Lister Sinclair called Uh The Blood is Strong. And our opening night, believe it or not, because we were one of the only theaters in Toronto that opened that night, was November 22nd, 1963. Wow. And uh, I was there heard... anyone in the audience? Well, my parents were there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there was. It was a small theater, yeah. and uh, um, the, the audience came, but they played the Stars and Stripes instead right. of O Canada. We were all crying our eyes out, and um, it, 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 it was a you know it it was that thing of being you have to be in control in mm-hmm. the theater. It's very demanding. So, but then when I went, I went to England. I didn't know anybody because mm-hmm. very soon after we got there my husband left so he ran off with a makeup girl in a studio at the BBC and that 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 was fine because I got my scholarship to rod I don't think he thought that would happen but, <laughs> um, and so I lived this life that I I could have made up anything because nobody knew about my past right. but it was there is this wonderful thing about having an uncle or a father or a brother or a lawyer or a doctor I had nobody you know, which is so when I got the Avengers, I had this dreadful contract and I just signed it. And which meant that I never got a penny out of the Avengers. <laughs> Basically, I was paid nothing. I got no residuals. I got, you know, I mean, the others made millions. But it's this thing of noticing that I, w- I was not in control of things. Mm-hmm. I'm very impatient. I rush to do things. So I, I love the discipline of the theater. So what you're saying about other actors yeah. sitting here saying that is you have to, I'm always on time because the curtain has to go up. And if you're not on time, somebody else has got your costume on and that's your understudy. <laughs> and she might be better than you are. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, it is Sarah Polly, Polly told me once that the thing that she learned from an, uh, among hundreds of other things probably is punctuality. Yes. She is always on time or early. It's paramount (laughs) if you want to keep your job. And so when you're 16 and you're married and, you know, thinking about going to RADA, the idea of reinventing yourself as someone who wants to be an actor has to be kind of intoxicating. You can go to England. As you say, nobody knows you. You can create whatever you want, whatever kind of life you want for yourself. Well, it, it, the interesting thing was that, well, to me, is that when I was at RADA towards the end, John Huston came to RADA because he was looking for a young unknown to do a movie called Sinful Davy. And uh, he liked me a great deal. He loved Toronto. It was his favorite city in the whole world. You probably know this about John. So um, I was a vegetarian at the time. We couldn't afford meat anyway. But he took me to Rules in Maiden Lane, which is a fabulous restaurant in London. And he said, give her a a filet mignon. Get Get her some steak. So I'm sitting there. and There probably weren't a lot of vegetarians around at that time. It wasn't something that came up. Well, anything alternative, I was. (laughs) I really, I was, Richard. That was me. Um, So we sat there, and he talked to me about the movie and said he thought that I would be wonderful. And um, at the end of dinner, I was very buzzed because of all the B12, I guess. (laughs) So I went around telling people at RADA that I was going to play this part in a movie directed by John Huston. And then about a month later, John Huston... 
uh, called up and took me out to dinner again. And he said, you know, I have to tell you something. You're not going to be able to do the movie because I've cast John Huston and you're a giant compared to him. Uh. So Pamela Franklin uh, got the part of the movie. But he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send you to ABPC Studios to a friend of mine, Robert Leonard, because Diana Rigg, who's doing a series called The Avengers, she wants to leave. She wants to go back to the theater. And so they're recasting it. So I'm going to send you to see them. And so then I went to Rada the next day and I said, oh, my God, I'm going to star in a TV series. John Huston's got me this series. It's the Avengers. So I guess it was about a week later and I got all dolled up and I went up to ABPC and I walked in and there were 200 other girls there waiting to audition. Women. 200 women and especially when I walked in, Richard, remember, yeah. thinking that I was just going to uh, <laughs> confirm right. that I was, was going to be offered the part, the contract would be there. Uh, with for the, the television show The Avengers, which the was Avengers. a huge show at the time. It was a huge show and, and Patrick McNee, who mm -hmm. sadly a couple of years ago passed away at the age of 93 and we remained friends. Um, he was irreplaceable, but they did replace the girls. Um, so Honor Blackman was the first, That's and right. then Diana Rigg, and then it was me. And then after me, years later, um, they made the new Avengers mm -hmm. with Joanna Lumley, the wonderful Joanna Lumley. So, um, but then they brought in another man, Gareth Hunt, and uh, so it was never quite the same dynamic or formula. But at that day, when I arrived at the studio, thinking that John Huston had set me up, there were all these other girls. Well, and Did they all look like you? Because that's the thing. You, you go to auditions, and you think, oh, I'm going to really nail this. So you walk into the room, and everyone's dressed for the part, so they're all kind of dressed the same. They're all wearing glasses or whatever. They all kind of look It's so the same. eerie. It's as if you have like 200 doppelgangers. <laughs> no, in fact, in those days, it was they didn't know what they wanted with right. the takeover from Diana Rigg. So you bring me to the point that they whittled it down to 50, then to eight girls, and then eight girls to three. The last three girls were Tracy Reed, Mary Peach, and myself. Um, Mary Peach was 40. Tracy Reed was 30, and I was 20. So you can see they really didn't know. And we could not have, Tracy had long black hair, and right. Mary was blonde, and I was very bubbly with brown hair. So they screen tested three of us. And then finally they, they sent me actually to a health farm and put me on hot water and lemon for eight days because they wanted me to lose weight. But I still didn't know I had the part. When they came to the health farm the day they told me I did have the part, I think I fainted because I just, I was very, very happy. Hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't eaten for days. I needed John Houston and a steak. Um, but but anyway, so the, it, there was this long process for getting the part. But I did eventually win the part. And uh, um, Patrick McNee was uh, – nobody could be better for your first well, television I, series to I've work I've heard with. that he said uh, to you – and he was very helpful to you. He and, was very... Uh, all the way along, gave you good advice. You signed a bad contract. I did. But he was helpful in terms of, of guiding you through uh, the, the process, right? Because this would have been all completely 100% new to you. It was very new to me. And back in those days, you know... I would be summoned to the executive offices, and I was spoken to in a way that a woman would never put up with right. these days. They used to say things about they could see my knickers when I jump over the couch. Right. And I wanted to say, well, you try jumping over that couch <laughs> in that little tiny skirt you've got me in without you showing your knickers. But I did eventually, I was, I mean, one of them one day said something about my period. 
Now, I, I was, can you imagine, I'm 20, I mean, I felt my entire body go red. I was so embarrassed. I told Patrick about this, and he said, you are never going to a meeting again without me there. That's the quote that I was going to pull up that, here. Because that is the that, truth. And, and so he, he became your protector. devastated that I would have been subjected right. to anything like that. And uh, I realized it wasn't really the guy's fault because... This is just the way men talk. I mean, it's mad men. You know, right. there there you are. It was a kind of just acceptable. I don't even call it ignorance. It was just acceptable. I'm glad it's not acceptable anymore, but I was very young and I was, you know, I was subjected to it. And so Patrick stopped that. But he also taught me to stay on the set, to watch the lighting and the lenses. So I was keen. I never went to my dressing room. I waited. I talked to people. He taught me when guest stars come on the show, you make them feel relaxed and at home. Right. And I've guest starred in every other series <laughs> in the world. And when you go on a set, you know if they know how to behave. Because they make you feel at home, or they just ignore you, and and you're you're not going to be your best because you're nervous about going into it. But but I learned how to be the grown-ups on a show, the stars of a show, and to make everybody feel great. And we had the most wonderful actors. Everyone wanted to be on the Avengers, yeah. of course. So we had wonderful actors. But you, you couldn't have a better beginning for a career than to have two years. I had more time on camera by the time I was 21 and a half than Elizabeth Taylor had in her whole career. You're parachuted into a giant television show, made 33 episodes, I think, is that right, of, right. of The Avengers? Uh, you learned a lot. How did your life change? Obviously, um, the recognition that comes along with being on that show must have turned things upside down for you. The, the greatest thing was that then I wanted to go back to the theater, mm. and I did. And so they would put on the marquee, they would put Avenger Girl in. <laughs> now, I didn't care what they put as right. long as it put bums on seats. Right. So it opened up a world where people came to see Linda Thorson. and I had a certain amount of uh, notoriety for all, so all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, and, and so that... That I, I have to say I used that. I went back and I did a lot of theater. I went to the Bristol Old Vic for a year. I did Osborne plays. I did Goldoni, Servant of Two Masters. Um, I went to France. I was very, very much loved by the French people. I don't know why. <laughs> of course, The Avengers is, you know, um, iconic now. But it maybe it was that it was so British that the French loved it. Right, right. Um, but I spent a lot of time there. I for, for years, I couldn't pay the bill in a restaurant in Paris, <laughs> which was very... Very, very nice. That's not, you know, there there are exactly, worse problems to have. But, you know, Picasso, they would never let him sign the bill. He would just do something on the napkin. Yeah. So that was, a, that was a wonderful result of that. Um, but it, it, it really, really gave me a name. And you can't, you know, I can't say enough about that. Yeah. So um, going back into the theater, I perhaps I should have parlayed it more into the film business. But my love was the theater. I've done 56 plays. I've done five Broadway shows. I do. I... I, I the, the long career that I'm having is really, I think it's unbeatable because now I'm playing older parts. On stage, you can go on stage for a lot longer, you yeah. know, when you're older, as long as you have your health and you're fit. Yeah. Um, because I was a runner for years, that's really helped me. Um, 
But I, 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 it, it was a huge break. That's all I can say. There's nothing. There was no pejorative. There was nothing bad about it. No pejoratives. Mm-hmm. It was, it was huge. The only thing that I was also lucky about is that soon after that, David Conville ran the new Shakespeare Company in England, and he gave me the part of Titania in Midsummer Night's Dream. Right. So I played that part a thousand times, and that kind of broke the oh she's TV. Mm-hmm. They don't do that to you so much in Britain. They don't give you that label right. so specifically. I mean, we have British equity, which covers all mediums, well, whereas I, here you have all the different equity and actor. And, well, see, I think British actors and Canadian actors, of which you are both, yes. you are. <laughs> um, I think that because of the nature of the business in both those countries, you have to do everything. You, you have do. to be able to do accents, sing and dance. You have to do stage, theater, commercials. If you want to make a living, Unless you are airdropped into a, a big American sitcom or something like that as a Canadian actor, you have to put yourself out there and do just a lot of different things. to earn a living, mm-hmm. literally. I mean, you're just you're not paid. I remember when Laurence Olivier did the role, the uh, uh, Maxwell House coffee commercials. Yes. Yeah. Now, that was unheard of for someone of his stature to do a commercial. And he refused money. He didn't want to be paid. But he was given two Rolls Royces. <laughs> <laughs> one for himself and one for Joan Plowright. That's an amazing um, story. And I didn't know that. And that really changed everything yeah. because then we could do commercials where we could earn a bit more money. But the stage, one is paid so little. I have no idea how older British actors live because the British equity, the pensions, they're nothing. Yeah. I mean, pensions are nothing in England anyway. But if you work for long enough in Canada, you've got your RRSP. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in the United States, you know, you've got SAG and ACTRA, AFTRA. And so you, you, can, you, can, you can do that, but you have to be able to do theater. But actors in England, I mean, you don't have to have done something yesterday. You're not – people don't look past you at a party. Mm-hmm. If you're not working in Hollywood – you are out. That's right. You don't even get invited to the party. And I think it's still a bit like that. And I don't mean to say mean things, but in England, an act, being an actor is a job and it's respected. So you're just seen as, you know, I, I remember my father said to me, who was a, a, he was a mathematician and a physicist, so he had a perspective on life. And when I would be out of work, I would say, I just, I feel like nothing, Daddy. And he said, you are the same mother, daughter, sister, friend, as when you're working, as when you're not working. And that, that I'll never forget that he said that. That will ground you. Because yeah. it's the, an actor can only make it if you can live through being out of work. I'm speaking with Linda Thorson. Her film, The Second Time Around, is in theaters right now. I have to ask about living in London in the 1960s, swinging 60s yeah. uh, in London. Uh, you mentioned Laurence Olivier. You would have seen him on stage, I'm sure. I, I played know... tennis with him. You played tennis with At Laurence a cha- Olivier? At a charity tennis tournament. <laughs> and he took my hand, and we were introduced. He took my hand, and he looked in my green eyes, and he said, God, you're like my Viv. And <laughs> I almost Lee. fainted Vivian <laughs> Lee, who I've always worshipped because my favorite movie is Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Thus, I, cha- I, I chose the name Tara for right. my character, um, but I I did I I I I did have the most amazing time because it was the swinging sixties. I was starring in a television series. Um, you know, I got to know the Beatles. You, you hung out with Mick Jagger and Mick Jagger <laughs> and and uh, 
you know, it 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 was it, it it was just a time when it was everything was magic. Carnaby Street and Paul McCartney and I have the same birthday. We ended up dancing at the Revolution together at midnight on a New Year's Eve. Um, I, it, and I wore these clothes that were very iconic of the, well, they became iconic. Mary Quaint and things Mary, like that. Yeah, Mary, Mary Quant. Quant. That's Mary all Quant. right. She was quaint as well. <laughs> and Bebas and the makeup, the styles, the miniskirts, the high boots, the hot pants. Um, we just, it was the time of all time. Did it feel like a revolution? At the time, it didn't. At the yeah. time, it kind of seemed normal to me. Right. But, I mean, I knew it was very special because I was getting to be in this series. But mm -hmm. during the series, Richard, I never went anywhere or did anything. I was picked up at 5 o'clock every morning. We had to meet American air dates. We sometimes worked six days a week. We would run from set to set. I was given a script, change costumes, say the words. So, it, it we, you know, it was a busy time. It's I not never, glamorous either. It, yeah. it was, no, it was nothing glamorous. <laughs> you know what I'll never forget, though, is... Those mornings driving up to Elstree in the car and the mauve sunrise, right. you know, just being up that early in the morning, uh, very, there, was all, there was never very, very much sleep. But, in, you know, in those days, you're young, you don't need sleep. But it, it, that time, it, looking back on it, what a great time in England. What yeah. a great time. in the theater, you know, when we were at Rada, we'd go and stand at the back. I saw Olivier do Othello 16 times. And, and all the great Robert Stevens and Derek Jacobi, we would be able to go. We got tickets and we would stand in the gods at the Old Vic. So we were just, we were, it was, it was seeped through every pore. Everything you wanted was there. It was the best theater time. Well, it does feel to me that if you were sort of there at that period, that you touched pop culture that was going to change things for the next, dec for decades to come. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's never, it's never really gone gone away. I mean, mm -hmm. the fashion of the 60s, it, you know, keeps coming back. The music. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting thing, though, in retrospect. Uh, very little was talked about about Vietnam mm -hmm. during that time. Now, I was not here. I was not in America. Right. So, uh, um, it, it was it was interesting that the British did just just didn't get involved in it, yeah. and then I came back and lived in America, and I realized that was a that was a, sp a sort of space of news. I listen to the BBC when I listen to the news because you get the world news better. Right, uh, we're almost out of time for this segment. Okay. Tell me about dancing at midnight with Paul McCartney. Was he a good dancer? He was a really really <laughs> he was a really good dancer, and he's a a wonderful wonderful guy. He did have his bedroom slippers on. I remember that. Really. He doesn't like wearing shoes. <laughs> we have to talk about the second time around. It's the film that's in theaters right now. Uh, you are in that film, someone who loves opera. It starts off, the film starts off with a really wonderful sequence of you lip syncing to opera. And, and it sets, one of the things that I like about films that when they wordlessly tell us everything that we need to know about a character. And in that scene, uh, as we watch you mouthing the words along to, to Puccini, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's Puccini, I, I felt that I knew this character already. I felt that I knew a lot about her already. And then, of course, we learn more. But it's a, it's a really wonderful way to introduce the character. Tell me, when you first read the script, your impressions of Catherine. Um, I first read the script years ago. Oh. Uh, um, so um, I, my first impression was that she was 
somebody very much, uh, she's not like me myself at all, but someone I knew um, very much like a, a, probably a Canadian woman or that you might find in Holt Renfrew, mm-hmm. um, uh, very much like British women who've been brought up in a certain way. There's a timidity yes. about her. She's she's fearful. She's afraid of being left alone. She had, She's kept her her desires and her passions very much to herself. She's married a man who she couldn't talk to about those things. But she listens to the opera and she goes to the opera. And that is how all of her fantasies, and she fantasizes about being the, the women in the opera. Mm-hmm. And, and she longs to go to Italy. Um, and uh, speaking of dancing, in the movie, when she finally gets her hip replacement working and she stands up and uh, um, Isaac um, Shapiro asks her to dance and then he starts to sing to her, love's much lovelier the second time. And it's such a sweet, sweet part of the movie. Um, I, I thought it was a wonderful story when I read it years ago and it's been through many iterations and incarnations this movie and it finally got made in 14 and a half days which uh, I don't know if people know but it, that's very very fast sometimes 14 days of filming you'll get two minutes of, yep. a, of a film out uh, of, of it. a feature film David or, lean definitely or, or or an hour of television sometimes or, you know right. complicated boardwalk Empire shows like that yes. would have shot for two for, two and a half two weeks. Yeah. Exactly. So we did the entire film in 14 and a half days for less than a million dollars Canadian. Yeah. Um, and I think it is a testament to, I mean, someone like Gavin Mitchell, who's the production designer, um, uh, Lucek Bogner, who did the lighting. These people work magic mm-hmm. with nothing, you know, with no budget. Um, so uh, uh, the, the, the movie is full of journeyman Canadian actors who really come from the theater. And my daughter, Laura de Carteret, wonderful, yeah. wonderful actress. Um, and Alexis Harrison, the three of us, it's amazing because we actually look like a family. Right. The grandmother, the daughter, <laughs> and the granddaughter. And that's not normal to cast these three. We don't look alike, but you can tell yeah. that we're the same family. Um, but the movie is, you know, when you get involved in a book and you just, it takes its time. Mm-hmm. And People love it because there's no bang bang. There's no special effects. It, it's it's a it's a movie that's made up of a series of small moments yes. that that add up to kind of a larger whole by the time the end credits roll. That's what I felt about but, it. But it's character driven, and there's yep. a lot of laughter. It's very very funny. There's it, some funny lines. Well, you've got people I, like Louis Del Grande, Jane oh, Eastwood, Don Franks, his, the late great Don Franks. Yes, was last movie yeah. wonderful. And uh, but that's that's the the people are involved because they get involved in the characters. But that takes time mm-hmm. because you have to be authentic once characters are authentic then whatever they do you're following them but that's the genius of Leon Mar yeah, the director the director and the writer and his it was all his concept and he wrote this movie with Sherry Souls but he has created these very very real people and 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 that's why people come out of the movie there's it's so relatable and the demographic is big it's not just for older people no. young people realize that they will deal with parents who will eventually or middle-aged people have dealt with their parents going into homes and then of course my daughter in the movie Laura de Carteret she's just she cannot believe that I'm getting involved with this guy in the nursing home in the rehab home she's so upset about it and you know that thing when you're a kid and you the bedroom door is closed and your parents are in there and you look at your brother 
your sister and you, and you go like, ew, do you think they're, ew? So there's that thing when people are older, do they actually go to bed together? Well, the, yes, they do. <laughs> the film is called The Second Time Round. Linda Thorson is my guest. It's in uh, theaters right now. And what I liked about it, and we, we talked about this just before we actually started taping this entire interview. I was saying to you that I love these long, uninterrupted scenes that you and Stuart Margolian share. Yep. He's playing Isaac, your love interest in the film. And I, I love them because they are not rushed. It is uh, the, the pace of life that allows these two people to share things about their lives with one another. And as I was watching it, I found it kind of hypnotic. You agreed, but laughed a little bit. You said, well, we shot this in 14 days. We didn't have time to do a lot of, you know, close-ups and things like that. And I think that in this case, uh, it works to the benefit of the film. Well, I'm glad that you think that, Richard, because if you, it's rather a throwback. I mean, if you look at Visconti or Fellini, mm -hmm. you go back. Or Antonioni, uh, yeah. Or Antonioni, yeah, yeah. he, he these are held, these are shots that are held yeah. because they don't need to. I mean, it's like Elvis Presley entertained twenty thousand people in Hawaii with his guitar yeah. on a stage. Yeah. It wasn't the voice. It wasn't America's, America's Got Talent. There was no para, you know, what's it called, paratechnics. Yeah, yeah. You know, it. it, it it's just, that's all you needed. And that's all you really need when you've got the script and the characters. And so there's this, this movie is basically shot in master shots. And therefore, you really have people, you're not looking over, it's not all about reactions. Yeah. You're seeing both people at the same time. And it's, when you watch a farce, that's why farce is so much better on stage. You have to see all the doors opening and right, closing at the right. same time. You can't just pick and choose. But film also is, is a visual medium, so just people's faces. And Leon was not afraid to just hold on a look. And you can tell how people feel mm -hmm. looking in their faces. He's, 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 the magic of Leon Marr is that he's done, he's done in an hour and a half what is so difficult, is that he's made it precise and concise. Mm -hmm. He's told the whole story, not rushing, but you get everything. David Cronenberg told me once, he said, cinema is just interesting, you know, beautiful faces or interesting faces saying interesting things. Yeah, that's, and, that's wonderful. And that's it. Yeah. You know, and this is what we get. We actually get to see the performances in this film without a lot of uh, flash and trash, I like to call it, lots of things going on around not, you. Not at all. And I have also been so heartened by men loving this movie. Yeah. Uh, because it, some people think this can be a kind of woman women's thing. It's not. I did Shirley Valentine across Canada, right. and I had guys in cowboy hats come backstage <laughs> and say, I love this play more than anything I have ever seen. This Shirley, whoever, she's just fabulous. And I, you know, I, I do think that that the movie has so much because we do get involved with all these male characters in the film. Mm -hmm. And and the male point of view is men have hearts, men are in those homes, men are very lonely. That's why often men don't live as long as women once they're alone, because it's harder for them to socialize. Yeah. And the movie, it, it lets us in on that, the vulnerability of the loneliness, because it's not so easy for guys to just sit down and talk. But these guys play poker. And you, you can see their personalities. So it, it, it's a movie that men have really come up to me and said how much they enjoyed it. And what was it? You said you read it initially years ago. What was it that kept you interested all the way along? Well, I, I think that, honestly, this is the best part I have ever been offered on 
on on camera right. ever. It was a huge chance for me. I'm terribly, terribly grateful for for this opportunity because to play a woman of my age at my you know at right. my exact age, um, you know when you're older you don't want to be put out to pasture because right. you have all of it there. We've never been better than now. Well, you've got experience. Well, yeah. exactly. But it's so wonderful that all these older you know actors are now working. Norman Lear has put it put people together yeah. and put them on camera because there's an audience of people who all have disposable income and they want to be entertained and they want something they can relate to. Yeah. So you, I think we're going to see more and more and more movies like the second time around. Um, and it started with, you know, Best Exotic Marigold. That's right. And uh, um, the movie that Dustin Hoffman made about the opera singers. Yeah. And, um, uh, but uh, it, 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 and then we've got the series. We've got um, Feud with mm-hmm. Susan Sarandon. Which is fantastic. Um, and Jessica Lange, yeah. which is so great. And Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda. That's right. And these, these are women who are so wonderful to watch for everybody. But there's an audience for this. And Leon's movie, maybe it could have been made 10 years ago, but this is a better time for it. The film is called The Second Time Round. Around uh, stars Linda Thorson. Check your local listings. You can find it uh, playing in a theater near you. You love opera in the film. This is, we're almost out of time, but you made a record. It was a giant hit in France. It was. It was <laughs> called Here I Am. I recorded live with a 57-piece orchestra. It was written by Kenny Lynch for me. And uh, it's it's a good tune. <laughs> I used to hear it. I used to wander around the the drug stores, you know, in Paris, yeah. and you'd walk in, and it was play. It was playing all over the place. So um, that was fun. Yeah, and and the, you wore a nose ring on the uh, cover of a the book, album. Boucle d'oreille. Is that what it is? Is what it was yeah. called. Yeah. I know it was a fashion at the time. I'm so glad I didn't actually have the hole put in my nose. You yeah. could take it on and yeah, off. Yeah, it was a clip. I'm yeah. all for tattoos that you can remove. <laughs> <laughs> She was Tara King on The Avengers. She danced with Paul McCartney. Now you can see her on the big screen in the second time around. It'll be playing in a theater near you very soon if it's not there already. If you'd like to find out more about Linda Thorson, check out her website, lindathorson.com, or you can just rewind and listen to that interview all over again. I think we covered pretty much everything right there. My thanks to Linda for coming by. Most of all, though, my thanks to you for swinging by every single week. Always knock on the door. We're always around. We always love having company. And when you come by, you never know who else is going to be here. It might be one of your favorite people, someone you've always wanted to hear from. So make sure you come by and visit us every single Monday.